Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. All right, attempt number two, three to record this final podcast. Ian, are we going to make it through this time? Yeah, I think we are. The funny thing about doing a podcast is when you do an episode, you think you've really nailed it, and then the file gets corrupted and you have to do it again. Anyone who's ever had a podcast or something like that knows exactly what that feeling is like. It's the worst feeling ever, and it's... Kind of fitting that it was on our last episode because... We've had every technological error that we've encountered throughout our podcast, like, year happen for this one episode. (laughs) Of course it was going to end with a technological issue, and now we have to do our last episode for a second time. So this is take two. I was joking with you that David Fincher did 99 takes on the first scene in The Social Network, so... I'm hoping we don't have to make it that many, but, you know, this is attempt number two. We just won't do it. <laughs> yeah, so for anyone who saw our tweet updates, the podcast is coming to an end, and I know that that's sad for a lot of people, and it's weird because I'm feeling good about it. I, it's a decision that I've been thinking about for the last few weeks, and I just think realistically it's the right decision. and I feel like it kind of got made for us. Yeah, and I think hopefully we'll be able to explain why it's happening over the next, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. Then we'll get into some top threes. Then we'll do one last Kovalev shift where we float around the ice for a few minutes. And then we'll, we'll say our last kind of goodbyes. But in these, this first block, we need to properly explain why the podcast is ending. So... Rachel, I'll let you start. Do you want to kind of help explain to people kind of the synergy between our schedules and how it's been basically impossible for us to to book a, a time over the last few weeks, which is bizarre because you think in quarantine, you know, you got nothing but time. But it's <laughs> funny how little our schedules actually work well together. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things that have sort of come to light in the past few months. Um, luckily enough, I'm probably one of the very few people I was not impacted by COVID in terms of, like, job loss, so... Can I just say screw you right off the top, just for fun? Yep, you absolutely can. So, like, my schedule has been pretty rammed, um, actually even more so during COVID because I've got the job at the bank, which is just kind of like your regular 9-to-5 bank job. Um, And then I've still got master's research to do, and... Um, I've started sort of doing some other stuff that involves sports that um, is going to preclude me and has in the past preclude me from saying all of the things I think would be great to have on this podcast. And to boot, Ian is a night owl. And by night owl, I mean, sometimes Ian goes to bed at 9 a.m. and wakes oh, up. Oh, that is such a lie. That is <laughs> not true. You went to bed at 10.30 one morning, and I was like, what are you doing? That was a few weeks ago when I was on the same sleep schedule as my girlfriend. That's true. Because... Right, so Ian's girlfriend works shift work because she's a nurse. Bless her soul for that. And so you want to, obviously, in quarantine, if you're only going to be spending time with one person, like, you probably want to spend it 
you want to adjust your sleep schedule if you need to so that you can spend time with this person. And so, like, I can't really... That Serb life. The Serb life is very fascinating. Over the last four months, anyone who's been on it, it's just... It's very unique and strange, the uh, the problems that you end up going through throughout the course of your day. Yeah, I can't... Uh, my sister was on it, because, like, she uh, works in the service industry, but now she's back to work. Um, this is my first official day back at work, and I'm so excited. There's hockey tonight. Yeah, I just, like, with our schedules, I mean, I'm... Ian makes fun of me all the time, even on this podcast. There is n- never really a moment where I'm not going a million miles a minute. Um, and when you have someone that goes a million miles a minute and then someone else adjusting their sleep schedule, it it becomes difficult to record a podcast. And then when you look at our ability to record, I'm a little bit handcuffed in what I can and can't say. So it it's kind of just this myriad of, well, shit, like it, it's got to stop at least for now. I did joke with you when we first started the podcast that, yeah, this is a great idea. Start a podcast with someone who's in all likelihood going to be hired by an NHL team within the next year. <laughs> Just a great business decision to, you know, oh, yeah, let's let's do a podcast that definitely doesn't have a shelf life. Yeah, I mean, OK, it could have been either one of us that got hired. And just to, like, fully set the record straight, no, I have not been hired full time by an NHL team. Um we're going to leave it there, though. And um, just it, it comes down to schedules and me not being able to say the things that I think would be good for this podcast. Because um, Ian's always said, and I'll let him kind of take it, we're at our best when we can really dive in and analyze things. And um, that's become more difficult over the past month or so for me. And another factor here is that Rachel can attest to this. She was basically doing most of the prep work for this podcast because I want to say after the first couple episodes, for whatever reason, my heart was never fully in it. There were a few episodes where I feel like I really came to work and I showed up and I was super invested in the research and breaking down the video and a lot of stuff that we like doing to make good podcasts when we put out that one about the one three one power play. We put a lot of prep into that one. We're talking about behind the net stuff. I feel like when we get into some of the, the finer points of hockey, the, the, the real nitty gritty of the tactical and the incorporating video and numbers and player analysis and team analysis, I think that's what we do really well and it leads to a good discussion. But in order to have it at the level that we want to have it at, there needs to be a lot of time and prep put into it. And I think what we're realizing is, okay, crap, Rachel doesn't have it to do it on her own. And I'm realizing that with games coming back and my writing career basically going from pause to fast forward in that there's going to be hockey on from noon until midnight, it's this unprecedented time where I'm going to need to be allocating all of my time to my writing. And and in my free time, I'll see if I cannot lose my mind. I'm going to continue the Leafs Geeks podcast, but I think the reason that I'm going to be leaving this one and not stopping the Leafs Geeks podcast is because I do like the podcast medium. It's something I really enjoy doing, but I wasn't putting much effort into staffing graph from a prep standpoint, and frankly, I wasn't really doing it with the Leafs Geeks podcast this season either. I, I feel like trying to balance everything when you're working from home and trying to find a way to be productive in your work hours and like, you know, trying to set up an office space right before the season came to an end. I was doing a lot of my work at like a public library or whatnot. Now that's, 
obviously a bit tricky now with COVID. Now you have to find a way to, okay, is, is your work your home? Can you maybe go outside and get some work done there? Everyone's trying to find a quiet spot and where they can be productive right now. And I think I've found that spot. I think I've found the right balance between what I need to be doing with my writing, what I need to be doing with my podcasting. I have a schedule all set up for this week and next. And Rachel will tell you that I am bad at time management, but I have made improvements this year. (laughs) Yeah, like, okay, so I feel like, well, behind the scenes, Ian and I, I feel like one of the reasons we work so well together is because we're polar opposite. Like... Because I just have far too much going on, which is a whole other issue in and of itself. Um, I've always been a person that's like very time management. I've got to have a schedule. And it's been that way since I was really young, just with being um, like an elite athlete. That's just something that you have to have or you're not going to pass school. Just casually bringing up the fact that she's an elite athlete, you know. All right. Well, (laughs) I don't know what, like, what else do you want me to say? Um, basically, when you do something for 35 hours a week and you have other things like school to do, you need to manage your time effectively. So that's just something that's kind of like I've grown up with. And so Ian, very self-aware, bless him, um, knows he's not too good at that. So we've just been like working and I've trying to been helping him out. And he's been really good with me in terms of like, hey, you can't be doing all of this stuff. Like, you're not sleeping. You're not having time to just be a human. So we're kind of polar opposites, but I think it's helped us both because there's been so many conversations that we've had where I've been like, yeah, like, I need to slow down because I'm going to burn myself out. And then vice versa, we're like, okay, I need to get a schedule together type of thing. And I've got that for this week and next, and it feels so good today. I'm literally, okay, until 3 p.m., I'm doing this. And then I have plans from 3 p.m. until 8 p.m. And then from 8 p.m. onwards, it's the Leafs game, and I have my report cards that I'm doing after that. And I'm back at work today. It feels good. It's really weird going from four and a half months of basically nothing to, okay, now we need to get back on the bike and get it rolling and... I thought to when I was at my best this season, and it's when I had my mind set on basically one task. Okay, writing today, that's what we're doing today. Uh, Leafs Geeks podcast, that's what I'm doing. Staff and Graf, Rachel can attest to the fact that after the first couple episodes, I wasn't putting in a lot of effort from a you know time management perspective when it came to the prepping. And I'm not sure if I ever will get it at the level that it needs to be for it to be the the successful podcast that we want it to be, at least from a quality standpoint. If I feel like me and Rachel are, you know, really kind of perfectionist-y about our work. Like when I'm doing an article, <laughs> you know, and an editor changes the wording on something, and I and I think that it's it's you know changed what the sentence is trying to say, and it's it's gotten away from the point I was trying to make. You know, I I try to correct that because I really care about the quality of my work. That's how I we I think we cared about the podcast equally in the beginning. And then slowly it kind of became Rachel's project that she was working on. And I kind of just felt like I was showing up on, on game day, you know, but not putting any of that effort in on practice days. I'm not sure for whatever reason why that is, but I know that it's a fact. And I'm thinking, you know what, if I can't put 100 to 10% into something, I don't want to do it. I don't think that's fair to the listener. I don't think that's fair to Rachel. I don't think that's fair to anyone. So... I'm gonna... And it kind of, it did get to the point where, like, we do have a producer. His name is Connor. He is excellent. There would be so many times as well, like, even during the podcast, where he would have to go through and, and edit things out because we would say things that we would then look back and be like, 
is Rachel going to get in trouble for saying this? And or sometimes I would Ian... bait you. Sometimes I'd just <laughs> yeah. drop Damon Severson's name and get ready for Rachel to say something that I know she won't be able to say in the pod. Oh, yeah, we just lost the last minute or two because Ian baited Rachel into saying some behind-the-scenes New Jersey thing that we know she's not allowed to talk about. That's a tricky right. thing about talking with you on a podcast. It's that I want to get the most interesting behind-the-scenes stuff that we can get, but I also don't want to get you sued. So, you know, walking yeah. that tightrope is a bit <laughs> tricky sometimes. Of course, and I think that... I felt like we did a decent job of that, and I haven't gotten in trouble yet. So, I've, hopefully, this podcast doesn't get me in trouble. That would be amazing um, if it's the last podcast that I'd gets honestly, you in the I'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't care. Um, and that's kind of where we're at when you you mix the two things. Um, it just kind of has to come to an end right now, and that doesn't mean like we should talk about how. Like, it doesn't mean it's not going to come back in the future. It might come back, and it might not come back the same. It might come back um, just me, or it might come back as sometimes Ian and I. Um, And when I say, like, just me or just Ian, it's, like, one of us with a guest. No one's going to sit here and talk for 45 minutes because nobody wants to hear that. Um, But it it might come back. But I would say probably what, Ian, like, at least a couple months. Yeah, over this next, uh, I want to say, two-month period, it's kind of an unprecedented hockey time where, you know, I'm going to be allocating most of my hours to written work, and then all the hours I'm not doing for that, I'm going to be trying to put into my own podcast and focusing on that. And if I have any free time, my girlfriend says that she wants me to do stuff, you know, because she thinks I'm going to get burnt out. But I'm telling you, the last four and a half months, I've been off doing nothing I'm ready to power down for a couple weeks and just absorb yeah, as much hockey like, as humanly possible. That gets old quickly. Like, I I remember that sort of thing. Like, there was a period of time where, as a gymnast, um, there was some stuff going on, and I, wasn't able, I couldn't be in the gym for, I want to say it was, like, eight weeks. And as a gymnast, like, that's a lot. That's a lot. You lose a ton. And I remember the getting back and going right back into, like, 35, 40 hours a week. And it was really cool for, like, the first three weeks. And then after that, my coach looked at me, and she's like, you look gassed. So then we kind of tapered it, kind of built things up. So, like, I'm excited for you. I'm excited that hockey's back, even though I don't think it's, like, the most safe thing. As long as the NHL kind of does not the NBA or – well, the NBA kind of got it together. But the MLB is a mess. The Miami Marlins died. Yeah, like, let's let's not kind of say that it's it's a good idea, but I'm happy hockey's back. I can't say that I'm not. I think um, what I'd say about hockey being back is the same I'd say about, like, any of my friends who are going back to work. It's that, like, you know, I want them to go back to work. You know, I want society to come as close as it can to resuming in a safe way, but I want to make sure everyone's safe. I think there's a good argument that the NHL bubble is much safer than normal society. I think if you walk down Young Street, you'll see that not everyone's social distancing right now. The NHL players, they they seem to be following the protocol and, you know, they're being tested every day. No new positive tests. So knock on wood, I hope it continues that way. Yeah, MLS hasn't had a positive test for two weeks and they're in the Orlando bubble. So it kind of seems like once Dallas and um, I want to say it was like there was another team. I want to say Nashville. Um, 
once they kind of dropped out, the COVID cases seemed to, uh, they tapered off and they haven't had a positive test. So if the NHL can do that and really limit things, I think that we actually might get through and see a Stanley Cup presented. Um, But yeah, like it's so funny that hockey's kind of coming back because all of my friends over the past like week or two have said, oh, we got to see you before this Sunday or this Saturday um, because we know that once hockey starts, like, you're just going to not be available at all. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. I've told people don't plan anything important in the month of August. And my birthday is August 17th. And I'm like, well, yeah, we'll put that off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Presumably if the Leafs are still playing and you're still doing report cards. Hey, even if the the Leafs, you know, lose in five to Columbus, there's a lot of Lafreniere articles to be written. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, No, I will say this. If the Leafs get the number one pick, they should trade it. See, that's the kind of content or, that we're going to have when the Leafs or, lose in three on. to Columbus. If the Leafs lose, they draft Alexi Lafreniere and trade Mitch Marner for a number one <laughs> defenseman. See, we made it 17 minutes before we talked about Mitch Marner's contract. I feel like that's Oh, a my goodness. I don't even want to. Yeah. Okay, so anyways, the podcast is over for now, and it sucks, but... It means good things are happening to the both of us. I can speak for my, like, I can't speak for Ian, but I can speak for myself. Like, I'm sad that the podcast has to go on, like, an indefinite pause right now, but it's happening because there are other things going on in my life that require this podcast to stop because I just have to be careful about what I say publicly now. And for what it's worth, trying to get stuff out of someone who can't say anything about that topic sucks as someone who's trying to ask like a good question and get into a good conversation and you want to put out good quality content that's hard right it's it's part of the reason that a lot of shows don't bring on people you know who are insiders in the NHL or, or who people who work in NHL front offices for example they're not going to give you good juicy quotes about player analysis and team analysis they're going to keep stuff close to the vest and that's the way that the industry works i understand it but i think that's part of the reason that me and Rachel often get into disagreements about this kind of stuff because she wants to work for an NHL team and I want to work in media. And at some point, you know, there's a difference in the way that you go about sports conversations. You know, she wants to take it one way. I want to take it another way. And I think it leads to good conversations behind the scenes that are just fantastic, but stuff that you can put out there publicly, eh, there's a limit to it, right? And and it's it's tough for you to walk. And I mean, it's going to be even tougher, which is why realistically i think we need to put this on pause for the next little while maybe it comes back in some kind of weird way maybe just you maybe just me maybe some weird combination of both i mean justin Bourne went and worked for the marlies he was sad that he had to leave his podcast behind comes back after working for the marlies and uh, he's on sportsnet at noon you know i'd say he's doing all right so yeah one door opens another opens if you're a fan of my work if you're a fan of rachel's work Keep reading it, you know, keep checking her out whenever Rachel does a radio hit, you know, tune into that. When I have Rachel on my podcast, which I know we're going to do throughout this Leafs <laughs> yes. playoffs, it's going to happen probably I am times. allowed to talk about the Leafs, so. Yeah, Travis Dermott's going to come up. He's playing on the right side in the top four, p- potentially. We're going to want to talk about that. She, gr- she played street hockey with him growing up in Newmarket, you know? I there, did. There are stories there, so... <laughs> 
it's not the end because Rachel's going on to some fun stuff, and I hope that I'm going on to some fun stuff in the future here. We're young in this industry, and we're trying to find a way to make it. I'm looking forward to the next, let's say, couple weeks, couple months, because even though it's unpredictable and these are tough times, I'm going to look back on this and tell my grandchildren 2020 was one of the weirdest years ever. Probably the weirdest year of my life. I hope so, at least. Man, it can't get worse than this. Like, <laughs> murder hornets, uh, COVID, injecting bleach into your veins, drinking hand sanitizer. Like, See, what is going on? there's a 2020 U.S. presidential election coming up. I guarantee no, no, you it I can get need, worse. No, I guarantee no, you. No, no. Please. <laughs> I'm begging, I'm supposed to be going, so my very close friend was supposed to be getting married in May in New Jersey. Obviously, that didn't happen, and now she's trying, um, I believe, for, like, the end of October, and we're, like, she's basically, it's a back-and-forth daily of I need to vent to you, Rachel, and me being like, calm down, everything's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay, but in the back of my head, I'm like, everything is not gonna be okay, because God forbid she has to push it back past the election, the country just might fall into, who knows. <laughs> you don't think Joe Biden is gonna restore order? I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll stop there. I, I, I just couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think, the, okay, I'll say this. I think no matter what happens, no matter who wins, there are going to be very angry people and it's going to cause problems. So I will be avoiding the United States, save only for that wedding. Because I have to attend that wedding. She's one of my best friends. I think I'm avoiding the United States until there's a vaccine. And frankly, that... <laughs> just... Yeah, I'm going to show up in an astronaut suit to the wedding. You know, like the Micah Blake McCurdy like heat maps he has in the offensive zone and defensive zone? Yeah. If you look at the heat maps in the United States, you just look mm -hmm. at the highly populated states. It's just... Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Yeah. All right. So let's... We'll do our Kovalev shift. Um, and we just want to take this time to thank Major League Sox for their support this whole time. They've been great to work with. I love them. They just announced an MLB Players Association deal, and um, it's there's other deals coming for other sports. It's very exciting. So you can get, like, Bo Bichette, Vladdy Guerrero. There's a bunch of other teams, players coming on board. and So it'll be exciting. So definitely, Bo Bichette, um, who was mysteriously out of the lineup yesterday. In a blue See, I don't game. really follow baseball. Other more than, on like, that at seven. No, more on that. <laughs> Coming um, up next. Okay, so for, we're gonna float around the ice and talk about our favorite parts of the podcast, our favorite moment. I think we both have a pretty like one that sticks out for us. Yeah, I know so I do. <laughs> for you, I think it's got to be your missing steering wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. When I, I told my girlfriend, I'm like, I know you don't care about hockey. I know that none of this interests you. But you have to listen to this five-minute story that Rachel has. And she's like, why? I'm like, she had her steering wheel stolen. And my girlfriend immediately said, what? what, Huh? What? <laughs> yeah. like, like, how is that possible? And I'm like, no, listen to this story. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. And I was laughing my ass off when you first told me. <laughs> Yeah, because I didn't tell you prior to. I said, Ian, I have a story. And you were just like, okay, tell it on the podcast. And then I told you, and your face, like, you had no idea what to say. So basically what happened was we had an away game. Me and the assistant, the other assistant coach, Danny, uh, we this decided for to drive. which university? York. York University. The um, York University parking lot. Dun, dun, dun. 
Exactly. Um, and so we come back. It's probably like it's close to midnight. Um, and he just like he drops me off at my car. Everything seems to be fine. He pulls out, pulls away. I see him turn left at the lights. I'm like, all right, he's gone. Whatever. I unlock my car. I open the door, and I was like, what the hell? My entire steering wheel is missing. So I call him back, and I go, you got to come back. And he's like, why? I'm like, you're never going to believe this. He goes, okay. I go, someone stole my steering wheel. And he was, he just goes, what? Okay, okay, I'm coming. So we have this saying at York where sometimes shit happens and you get screwed over, whether it's by the school or by something in the York vicinity or something that has to do with York. And it's called getting Yorked. So he shows up, he looks at it, and he goes, yeah, you got Yorked. And basically what happened was it was right around when COVID was starting to hit. So obviously it's an undrivable car. Um, so it went in and I didn't have a car for like two and a half months. And there was like some issue with insurance. So I ended up having to drive my dad's nice car for two and a half months. And I didn't complain about that. And then I got my car back and my dad goes, okay, I want my, my truck back. And I was like, are you sure? I just wanted to drive his. So he drives a, a BMW X5. And so I was like, oh, I kind of just want to drive this around. <laughs> I can see you behind the, you know, a BMW truck just feeling like the most powerful person in the world. I can see you enjoying that. <laughs> I was, um, I wouldn't say I was a maniac. I when, Okay, full disclosure. When I go to Germany and I drive the vehicles that my family has over there on the Autobahn, I am a full-blown maniac. Um, What's the fastest you've ever got one going before? Uh, 307. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. See, I drive yeah. in Canada where anything over 150 is speed racing. So I try to, you know, all I think 145 is where I try to, you know, that's, that's, that was my absolute max. And I'm like, nope, not doing oh, 150. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people where, like, obviously I will not do it in traffic. But if it's like an open road, I'll I'll put the cruise control on at like 147. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> uh, police officers who are tailing Rachel Dory, you, you've been you've been notified. The OPT exactly. is on notice. Yeah, clearly. But I got my car back. Um, but it came back with a giant scratch on it. So I sent it in with no steering wheel, and it came back. It had a steering wheel, but there is a scratch from on the driver's side from the back of the passenger door to halfway through the driver door. So it's like a good five feet. And I'm sitting there thinking like, what the hell happened in the shop that it has a five foot scratch on the car? And I just like, with how everything was handled, I'm like, I'm just not dealing with this right now. I will have it buffed out and painted. I don't, I don't care. Um, so that's just, that's the steering wheel update. It kind of became a bit though, because it was kind of like, well, what's going on with the steering wheel <laughs> well at one point we thought you're gonna have to write off the car and we're just thinking oh my god this went from being a funny little haha story to something that's like you know ruining your life and i'm thinking oh no <laughs> yeah it was it, there was there was a couple i want to say there was like a dicey two weeks there where i was like um i might have to write off this car like i would not be happy about that because it was brand new um but you yeah, have to thankfully, it for some other kind of BMW model, be so disappointed. Okay, let's just—I don't <laughs> drive a BMW. <laughs> uh, at least not on this side of the ocean. 
Um, There's a camper I, uh, I've i been helping out a lot with. I've, I've worked at a camp for the last uh, five summers at a camp for kids with special needs, and there's one who lives in the city who I've been helping a lot throughout the year, and his mom has a Mercedes, and whenever we're favorite. picking, mul- whenever we had to pick multiple people up, I'm like, well, you know, my car only holds four. I'm, I'm, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, no, I'll have to borrow your Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. It goes zero to 60 in like two seconds. And I'm just thinking, man, I got to I, I try to go easy on the transmission naturally because every car my parents ever had was an older car. And you just you always have to go easy on that gas pedal. It's hard to go <laughs> easy on a car that accelerates so fast. So I feel like I'm the opposite. So like when I'm in Germany, um, obviously the Mercedes, uh, Audi and BMW um, are domestic, so they're way cheaper over there than they are here. Uh, so it's it's actually kind of vice versa there. So you'll see a lot more domestic cars in Germany than you will see like Honda or Toyota or any like GMC. Like you don't have pickup trucks in Germany. Um, that's just not a thing there. So I've. I'm sort of the opposite. When I drive a car that doesn't have the touch-and-go gas pedal, it's almost like an adjustment period for me because I'm used to being able to go, okay, I have a really tight window here to make this left turn, and I really got to hit the gas pedal. And it just doesn't happen when you're not driving the souped-up engine cars. And so it's vice versa for me. Like I have to get used to, like, okay, I can't be a maniac turning left we've never talked about driving on the podcast in, in this uh, <laughs> i feel like no, probably but... not a good idea i was gonna say we're gonna start to find out just how insane rachel is on the road and i the took kind of the autobahn driving has. course oh knowing, my god the... knowing what kind of <laughs> hockey player you were i gotta think there's some road rage in there but you know what this seems like a good time to change the topic and maybe for me to bring up my favorite moment um uh, the funny moment that I had when I can't pronounce the damn word of this city in Michigan. How, do, how, are you, how are you actually supposed to pronounce it? Okay, so it's Saginaw. Saginaw, like a, okay. Yeah, and you pronounce it as if it's a giraffe. No, okay, you know the word imagine how, or image? Yes. How, you know, A-G, and then you go I, the word gin, G-I-N. Sag-gin as in a gin and tonic? is how it should be pronounced. I'm sorry, That's Draymond incorrect. Green. I'm sorry... Uh, that's, you know, when I'm on my road trip and I'm driving to Minnesota and I have to cut through this city. I'm sorry to the Saginaw spirit, but <laughs> this word should not be pronounced Saginaw. And I have a big the problem thing about with the, it. <laughs> the English language. And I learned this when I was trying to teach my cousins English, because obviously that's a thing you need to learn. Um, English is such a hard language to learn. My cousins could not figure out why cough, through, and though all have O-U-G-H, but all sound completely different. They're like, but the O-U-G-H is supposed to have the same sound because that's how it is phonetically in German. And I'm like, yeah, except some jerk decided that we needed to have five different pronunciations of O-U-G-H, so now I have to teach you all of these different things. And finally, my one cousin was like, you know what? Screw this. So now whenever he has to say like one of those weird words, he'll say the whole sentence in English and then he'll say that particular word in German. So if you hear us converse, it's like half the sentence in English and half the sentence in German. I used to tutor French and it's funny because there are exceptions in every language. But in French, um, the, the student I was tutoring, she was 12 years old and she was getting really upset 
with, you know, she's like, oh, why is there this exception? There's this exception. I hate this. And I'm thinking, you know what? No, you learned English and you, you made it okay. You can learn mm-hmm. French. French is much easier to learn than English. English doesn't Dr. make Mrs. any sense. Dr. Mrs. Vandertramp for the verbs. <laughs> oh, baby. Oh, she had those memorized in like a week. You know, we, we Yo, let's go. drilled those yeah. into her. I said, it's funny. She was in grade seven and she's like, well, I've learned everything in grade seven. Kind of master it. Can you teach me the grade eight stuff? So I'm like, okay, memorize this. Like, just drill this into your brain and you'll be good. And hey, that's the repetition. That's how you do it, baby. So yeah, it became the staff and giraffe podcast. Because I can't pronounce that city in Michigan. (laughs) Which is pronounced Saginaw. I think when I said it, it's funny. I was just casually talking about someone on the spirit and you burst out laughing. And we both realized, oh crap, Ian can't (laughs) pronounce this word. And I think we all have a friend who you realize all of a sudden, wait, you don't know how to pronounce this one word. My sister pronounces the word lunch as a two syllable word. Lunch. What? Lunch. Oh, no, I couldn't do it. Um, Her husband can't pronounce certain words, but it's not because of the pronunciation. It's because of where he places the emphasis. Instead of peanut butter, he'll say peanut butter. Or instead of leftovers, he'll say leftovers. And we're just like, no, that's not how you say the word. I can't say the word Saginaw. And I'm just going to lean into it at this point because you know what? <laughs> yeah. That's a dumb That's a dumb word. It's a really dumb word. And it, it's pronounced I feel wrong. like you've also, we may have edited them out, but there's definitely been times on this podcast where like my accents come through on a specific word and I've seen the look on your face and you've been like, whoa, what happened there? And it's just like, I have that accent sometimes. You know when you accidentally and- press like the language button on a remote and you're like, wait, no, they're speaking Spanish yeah. now. It's... <laughs> I remember the one time, I think, I don't know if it was, I was like recording with you or we were on the phone, but I had just gotten off the phone with my family overseas and I picked up the phone and we we were talking, you were like, whoa, that accent is thick. (laughs) Like Like your your voice came back even deeper than than usual, which, I mean, you have a deep voice naturally. It's deeper than mine, that's for sure. But... You came back from Germany, and I'm I'm like, holy crap! She's just she's like, in in like testosterone mode. I'm I'm kind of intimidated right now. <laughs> because German's such it's such a harsh language that like, in order to get your point across, first of all, everyone in my family is so loud, so everyone's yelling at each other all the time. And to get your point across, you have to sound harsh, but then it also sounds like you're, like, losing your mind at someone, but it's just how the language is. Yeah, you're just casually talking about, you know, Damon Severson's breakout numbers, and all of a sudden there's, like, an angry, like, tinge behind it. I'm thinking, oh, my the God. The best was when my German uncles came over here to watch me play soccer, and just, like, they'll stand on the sideline, like, away from other people kind of thing. And they were just screaming in German, but, like, as a hockey coach would, kind of, like, run or move it or whatever. Like, they're just, but they're giving it to me in German. And all the parents thought that they were nuts. But it wasn't that they were, like, yelling and screaming at me in a negative way. That's just how you coach in Germany. So they're just losing their mind. And I'm like, yeah, I got it. And, like, we're, we're buzzing around. And, but it's, it's just so different. Hey, so Tim Stutzel, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, I like this young Dominic Bach kid. I feel like they're doing all right on the on the prospect development side there in Germany. I'm going to have a full-blown meltdown at the mispronunciations of all the German names. How do you pronounce it's, Tim Stutzler? Stutzler. Stutzler. Yeah. There's no one's getting that. On the U. No one's doing it. No one's getting that. 
Yeah, you could even you could get away with uh, Stutzel, but the U needs to be properly pronounced. It's the same like when Schweinsteiger came over here, like just the butchering of the names. Oh, uh, it, it happens, but Schweinsteiger means pig climber, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, Schwein, which is why his nickname is Schweiny. But <laughs> that is what it is. My mom uh, taught German. That's how she met my dad, actually. Oh. Right. So that's I've like learned a few words here and there, but nothing important. Just, you know, I'm like doing shampoo and I'm like, oh, Schwarzkopf. That's like, you know, that's blackhead. Cool. <laughs> oh, my God. You just butchered the pronunciation of that, too. It's German. I don't speak German. <laughs> it's <sighs> my apologies. My mom will be disappointed in me. We floated around the ice here talking about all manner of things on the Kovalev shift. Yeah, it was just kind of meandered, you know, but I feel like we got a lot done while we were on that shift. I don't know how productive any of it was. I don't know how our, uh, our RAPM score? metrics are looking right now, but you know what? I'm proud of us. It is what it is. <laughs> All right, let's do... Um, we'll do the mailbag, and then we'll do top three. Sounds good. All right, so going into the playoffs, who's the biggest underdog that's going to succeed, and who's going to be the biggest disappointment? It's a really good question. Off the top of your head. I think... Well, it's hard. If Columbus pushes five games and the Leafs beat them in five, does that count as an underdog doing well? Probably not. You'd want the underdog to actually win the series. I think the underdog to look out for is the Rangers. Okay, make the argument. Um, I think that their goaltending is clearly very good. I think that they're young. Now they're healthy. Um, I think they match up well with the Canes because I do think really highly of the Canes, but I just think that the way that New York plays... Um, they match up well, um, and I don't think it's really a debate that New York has the better goaltending, and so I think that could be the difference for them, especially if Shashurkin plays well. Do you think the Arizona Coyotes play really well on the on the, on the back of their uh, their general manager not being with the team anymore? Yeah, that was not ideal. That entire situation. Just a uh, very interesting set of circumstances there that have, have yet to be fully uncovered, and uh, I think we'll leave There's it There's a that. lot of onion layers, let's just say that. Curious to see how they get peeled back over the next couple weeks, or if it's just all well, swept under the rug. I don't know. It can't be all swept under the rug, because I think a lot of people forgot that Arizona still has to be punished for, you know, violating the draft rules. So I think that there's a lot that's going to happen pertaining to the Arizona Coyotes, and I don't think that bodes well for them re-signing Taylor Hall, and I'm going to leave it at that. So you like the Rangers over the Hurricanes. Personally, I think the Rangers are going to get curb stomped at even strength. I don't know if their power play is enough to, to help offset it, but what people forget is that Carolina has a fantastic power play this year all of a sudden for the first time really ever. Sveshnikov's running that thing. They have a healthy Dougie Hamilton now. Uh, people don't realize that Tivu Teravainen was one of the best uh, playmakers on the power play. So that team has talent. I'm a huge Carolina truther, so they wouldn't be my pick uh, personally in the New York Rangers. I just, I don't know. I don't trust that team at even strength yet, even though I like so much of their talent. If I had to pick a team, maybe I'd go with the Blackhawks because even though it's the worst defense in the league and question marks in net, which could mean, you know, Leon Dreisel and Connor McDavid could have like 12 points in four games and we wouldn't be shocked just because of how lopsided the offense versus defense is there. But what I think a lot of people forget is that Edmonton also has a very bad defense. Uh, you know, when Connor McDavid's on the ice, even though he's scoring a million points, he's giving up a lot defensively. And I think when you look at the offense that Chicago has, I think they're, they'll be able to 
get back into some high-scoring games. I think we're going to see some 6-5 games in this playoff series. I think there's going to be a lot of goals. And Dom had a great article on it. Chicago's bad. But Edmonton's also much worse than you realize, and I think oh, that's going to I think ha- Edmonton's going to be supremely disappointing. Here's the thing. I hope they're not because I want to see Connor McDavid in important playoff games, but I, I think it's going to be a much closer series than people realize. Yeah, and the only reason I didn't say Winnipeg is because I don't really think you can count Winnipeg as like an underdog per se when they have a very clear Vesna-caliber goaltender and all of that firepower up front. I think that they were ravished by injury this year, and that sort of hindered them. But now that, other than Brian Little, they're healthy for the most part, I think that it's kind of unfair to call them an underdog. If Calgary loses that series to Winnipeg, what are the odds that Johnny Gaudreau gets moved in the offseason? Probably pretty high. And that's why I'm rooting for Winnipeg, because I'm on Team Chaos, baby. Give me all the (laughs) chaos. Yeah. All right. What about this is, I guess, a little bit more Leaf centric, but um, fair expectations of Nick Robertson. I know you and I have spoken about this just because like I've scouted the OHL all year. I'm thinking at least one hat trick per game, anything less, and I'm going to be extremely disappointed. Yeah. Point with, per game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. 18 year old who's under 170 pounds. Here's the thing. 18-year-olds usually don't do that well at the NHL level. Even the really good ones tend to be, you know, have underwhelming seasons relative to what you're actually expecting because in three or four years, that player is going to be a lot bigger, stronger, and more ready for NHL, you know, physicality and contact. Right now, the raw skill is there and the release on Nick Robertson's shot, it's awesome. It's part of the reason he scored over a goal per game in the OHL. If you're expecting him to come in... Yeah, it was awesome. It was really... (laughs) His his numbers this year, him and SDA on Peterborough, so fun to watch. If you got to watch them in person, it was was a good time. It was awesome. It was a show every night. But I'm not sure how much you should expect Nick Robertson to, I don't know, win puck battles at the NHL level against a very strong four-checking Columbus team. On On the wall in his own zone, I think there could be some trouble, but off the rush in open space with Alexander Kerfoot giving him the puck on PP2 with some extra space, I think there's a chance for him to make an impact offensively, and I think that's what the Leafs see. They see, yeah, this guy could make some mistakes that you know could cost us some goals against, but he also has the raw talent that no one else in, in our organization you know, at the Marlies level has right now. And the upside of that, if we have Jason Spezza feeding him the puck on PP2, if we have Kerfoot and Kapanen you know, using their speed to get up the rush, and now Nick Robertson's open for a drop pass on a three-on-two situation... I think his shot and his ability to beat a goaltender from distance, even though he's not going to beat them from as far away as he was able to in the OHL, no one is, and you kind of have to learn to not shoot from so far away when you come into the NHL. I do think his ability to rip the puck can make a big difference in this series, and I think that's why they have him on the roster. They think he could be an X-factor, and personally, I'm with them. I want to see him on line three. I want to see Nick Robertson on the ice in offensive situations because I like his talent. But he's 18, and remember, all 18-year-old players go through the same kind of growing pains in the NHL. Yeah, and I think the fact that they have Mikheyev back um, probably means he doesn't really get that shot um, to play, but ideally, you want Mitch Marner passing him the puck because he can really shoot the puck, and so I would expect that he gets some power play time, probably PP2, um, I would love to see them go a five forward power play. I just yeah, they had Marner on the point and Barry on yeah. the left wall in their but last couple games before uh, the you know the the season was suspended. 
But hypothetically, Marner on the point and Nick Robertson somewhere in there with a five forward power play, if you're just going to go with something that's going to get the other team completely off guard and you want to just try it, it's something you could do. I doubt we see it, but Sheldon Keefe has gone with a a four forward power play in four on three situations. So it wouldn't be that crazy, but, uh, you know, they tried this at the Marlies level before and it didn't work with uh, with Dubas and Keefe. (laughs) The reason... The reason Nick Robertson is going to get a chance is because he does things that other Toronto's other skilled players do not. And what I mean by that is he goes puck hunting like Zach Hyman. And I'm not saying he is as successful as Zach Hyman. Please do not take it that way. He's I'm not as strong, that, doesn't have the speed, strength, right, power but combination he that Hyman at has. least does it. And so when that sort of, and he's competitive, there's been videos of him out-muscling Jake Muzzin, out-muscling Austin Matthews. It's not like this kid is weak and little. He's, if anyone's actually seen his body, he's built pretty well. He's just he's short. thick with two Cs, maybe three. Right. So he <laughs> is absolutely strong and he will win some puck battles. And I think that if he does get opportunities he needs to capitalize on them but he's not coming in to be like he's not going to score 10 goals in the playoffs I mean if he does wow but I think that's unfair to expect from him I think probably for this playoff it's I would say if he can be a regular in the lineup and not a liability that's probably a success for him at this point because it is difficult enough to step into the NHL as an 18-year-old. It is quite another thing to be stepping directly into the playoffs. Yeah, it's unprecedented circumstances for everyone, which is why, honestly, I think he's getting this opportunity. If this were regular circumstances, he probably isn't on the playoff roster because he's not used to NHL speed, but no one's used to NHL speed right now, so why not bringing an 18-year-old who has lots of, I don't want to say lots of speed, but lots of quickness, lots of deception, lots of offensive talent, I like the idea behind it. What other NHL rookies are you looking forward to seeing in these playoffs? Does Quinn Hughes still count? No. Let's. I want to say some someone with zero NHL games played who's going to play their first game in the playoffs oh, or play. Geez, I don't know. If, I don't think for? anyone. Uh, maybe Liam Foodie. Okay, I'm thinking Bowen Byram if they can sneak him on the. I don't know if he's going to get in the lineup. <laughs> I think he can this get is why the I didn't pair. Say. I think you can get him in the lineup somehow. I don't think that's going to be a thing unless there's injuries. I'll tell you what, though. I'm so excited to see Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes in the playoffs. I think it's going to be amazing. They're, we've talked about this. They're my two favorite yeah. defensemen in the league to watch right now. Just, you know, they're, the things that they can do, their athleticism, they're so young and dynamic. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's so fun. All right. So let's, we'll do our final top three. I think we'll do, we'll do two top threes. Um, players you appreciate more than anyone, and they don't have to be current. So we did this last night, and it was fun. Do we want to use the same three, or do we want to go with some new ones so that we have to... No, I'm using the same three. All right, who did you use last night? Go for it. I'll let you start. We're kicking it off with Damon Severson. Yeah, that's a shocker. How many times have I brought his name up? And how many times have we had to cut out the following couple minutes? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Every single time you go, like, what about Damon Severson? It'd be like, Connor. <laughs> Trade deadline yeah. preview. Hmm, Damon Severson's name. Here, I'm hearing that. What, what do you think about that, Rachel? And then, yeah, we have to cut out the next. Yeah, we have to cut so much. Answer. I like Damon Severson. I, 
I don't even think. I know he hasn't gotten the opportunity in New Jersey to step in and be that offensive kind of guy. Um, but he makes excellent breakout passes. He's rarely in his defensive zone because he is supremely good at neutral zone defense and transition. Um, but when he is in his defensive zone, he does leave some things to be desired, let's say. Um, his puck, he gets puck watching a lot, or it's kind of one of the two. He's either puck watching or he's not paying attention at all. But to me, if you spend 75% of your shifts in the offensive zone anyways, then I can deal with the 25%. And part okay, of the realistically, he, it's going to be more like 55, 45. No, but he spends a ton of time, like we, oh, well, he spends, based on actual time on ice, he spends about 65% of it in the offensive zone. And I want to say, or no, maybe it was like 65 in the neutral zone. It was something like that. Um, but of the New Jersey Devils, he spends the least amount of time in his defensive zone. Interesting. And again, those are the kind of players that I tend to value, which... Surprise, surprise, is part of the reason I'm such a big Travis Dermott fan. And I I put out a tweet the other day saying, hey, Leafs report cards are coming out tomorrow. I was really excited about it. And then someone quote tweeted it and said, Travis Dermott already has three stars and the game hasn't started yet. (laughs) This is why you text me. You're like, I need an objective opinion on Travis Dermott. Yeah, we're going to watch a Leafs game at some point throughout these playoffs and I'll do the the Leafs report cards maybe at your place or something. And you're going to have to like talk me down on Travis Dermott because I'll be like, Rachel, I'm thinking four stars. I really like we did what he did tonight and you're thinking Ian he turned over the puck and it went in the back of the net like no you can't give him four stars and I think the hard part with Dermot is that I'm just such a big fan of his gap control and transition and his ability to basically kill a play before it's able to develop so whether it's in the offensive zone he makes a pinch to you know poke uh, a player on the wall so that they're not able to make that breakout pass. Now you keep playing the offensive zone. Okay, I'm not on defense. Perfect. I want to be on offense. In the neutral zone, someone's starting to break up on the left side of the ice. They're trying to cut across to the middle. Dermot sees that. He jumps up at the red line, doesn't let them get over center, forces a turnover. Now you have the puck. Or he cuts you off at the blue line when you're trying to get the entry, forces you to dump it in. He goes and gets it on the retrieval, makes a breakout pass. Boom. You're up the ice. You're on offense. Those are the types of players that I tend to think are undervalued because I think there's a tendency from coaches to really focus on a guy's play in the defensive zone and say, oh, he's a liability in the defensive zone, he's bad at this in the defensive zone. But I do think that the the most repeatable aspect of success when we're looking at players who drive shot differentials, scoring chances, and goals at the end of the day, they're the players who can control the neutral zone really well. And Travis Dermott, for me, is one of those players who is just super underrated in his 200-foot impact on the game because of how good he is at controlling the neutral zone. And for me, that's why he is my, I guess, favorite player that other people don't respect as much as I think they should, including his coaches. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Should we do one player from the past? I feel like we did that originally. Yeah, one one player from the past. I talked about Brian Campbell, and it was similar in that his results when he was on the ice were just ridiculous every time at even strength. Uh, I was rewatching a lot of old hockey over the last couple months, and those old uh, Chicago dynasty teams are so fun to watch because of the amount of talent that's on the ice. You have your Keith Seabrook pairing, and then your pairing that you're using to hard match against the opposition's best players is Jalmerson and Brian Campbell. 
And it's just awesome when you have one guy who's like the defensive stalwart over the last decade, for my money, maybe the best defensive defenseman in the NHL, Nicholas Jalmerson. And then you have Brian Campbell, who's a breakout wizard. His ability to just go back on a puck, shed the first four checker, skate up ice, and then make the right play to get his team into the offensive zone. It leads to his team getting a lot of zone time, the other team not having the puck very often. And at the end of the day, when Brian Campbell's on the ice, his team has the puck way more often than they don't. They have way more shots, scoring chances, and goals. And it's because of his ability to t- it's because of his ability to tilt the ice in his team's favor. And I can't get enough of his play in the defensive zone on the breakout. When Nick Jalmerson has the puck on the left wall, and Nick Jalmerson can't complete a breakout pass. He, he's basically Roman Polak with the puck on his stick, but he's Shea Weber without the puck, and that's why I was going to say he's much better defensively. That's why coaches love Nicholas Jalmerson is because you can trust him without the puck. The second he gets the puck, you you know you're like, oh crap, just get rid of it quickly, man. Like don't don't do anything dumb with it. But Brian Campbell's so good at getting himself open and you know backwards crossovering himself into open space. A play that most defensemen wouldn't make, you know, like, for example, if Nick Johnson has the puck on the left wall, Brian Campbell skates full speed from where he was standing to the corner. And most people are thinking, wait, what? But then Johnson knows to whip it around the boards. Campbell picks it up, sheds the, the four checker and boom, four on three up the ice, creating some offense. He was amazing on those Buffalo teams back when they had Daniel Breer, Chris Jury, Maxim Finneganov. Then he went and played with oh. Chicago and won a cup. Yeah. I think even even after that, if you look at some of Brian Campbell's numbers when he was on the ice, was consistently an elite play driver. I bet you if we had the uh, the shot metrics from his prime back when he was in Buffalo, I bet you he would have been an elite defenseman at moving the puck out of his end, at tilting the ice in his team's favor. And I, and I don't think he ever got the proper credit he deserved. You know how Mark Giordano finally got his Norris, you know, years after he finally deserved it because we realized, oh, geez, this guy was just incredible at controlling the game. I bet you Brian Campbell would have a similar impact back in his prime, and I think he missed out on Norris. That's how highly I think of Brian Campbell. Fair. I mean, I liked watching him too, and ever every so often he would have just this thunderous hit, and we we're like, where the heck did that come from? Yeah, RJ Umberger in the playoffs. That's Oof. at the time legal that check, hit and the call was incredible. I mean, it's one of those ones that I'm going to have a hard time showing my kids because I'm going to be like, ooh, I'm not sure how well this aged. But at the same time, in the moment, I'm thinking, let's go, what a hit. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just a terrible person. I haven't, I haven't decided yet. Yeah. Um, I would say, ooh, yeah, this is not going to come as a surprise. Um, Mike Johnson. And <laughs> yes, the broadcaster, but also the former Leaf. All right. I, I, we don't want to go too long over an hour, but you do need to tell a quick story here. Okay, so I was born in 96, and my mother watched, like, the Leafs play the Sens while she was in labor with me, so I was basically born into Leaf hockiness, and I have no idea why my dad doesn't even know why. He would just say, like, I guess Mike signed in, like, 97, Um, but when I was about, like, two or three, for whatever reason, every time they would do like the close-up of a player and the player was Mike, I would like stop what I was doing. And there was like eyes glued to the TV, like paying attention. And it kind of, he said like, once I started to watch more that, that really got me into hockey. And then um, my dad's actually moving. So he was going through some home videos and uh, he has this home video of him 
or my well my mom's filming it but uh it's when the Leafs traded Mike Johnson and it's my dad telling me that he had been traded and him explaining to me that like Mike was no longer going to be playing for the Leafs and like I wasn't going to be able to watch him on TV anymore and to this day both my parents say that I've never thrown a bigger temper tantrum than that specific day I was so angry I didn't watch the Leafs for like two or three weeks and I think it was when they played against like Tampa I want to say whatever team they had traded Mike to um that was like the first game that I watched and I despised Darcy Tucker for the entire time, even though he was so good. I was going to say, was just I think the Leafs about, might have like, won that trade. They traded a, a 40 to 45 hey. point guy for someone who's considered one of the, I don't know about great Leafs of all time, but definitely a fan favorite in, in Darcy Tucker. There will be no Mike Johnson slander on this podcast. I love him as an analyst. I'm just saying as, a, <laughs> as an NHL player, what was he, a middle six guy? No, all of it. He was the best. Yeah, okay. Don't even. Yeah, the numbers don't yeah. lie. I'm sorry, Rachel, you know The that. numbers in my brain say he's the best, so that's that. Okay? <laughs> Family, but yeah, I think no I criticizing think... him. I see how it is. Exactly. Um, I think I probably appreciate Mike Johnson for whatever odd reason. I, I still to this day have no idea what it is because like, I can't even remember him actually playing. Is he in your <laughs> top 100 Leafs of all time? Because he definitely yeah, didn't he's... make the actual list. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, again, shh, he's number two behind Sundin for me in terms of like my favorite because Sundin is, well, Sundin. Matt Sundin was pretty amazing. In that era, just one of my favorite players to watch. I mean, remember when he got to play with McGillney? That was so much fun when he actually got oh, a winger. Robert McGillney, Sundin. Yeah. He went so much of yeah, his career without having a real winger to play with, and then he got McGillney for a couple of years, and it was you finally got to see Sundin unleashed offensively. But oh, yeah, and then too the bad we didn't Kessel get more and didn't have a center. <laughs> Sundin and Kessel would have worked so well together. That's the funny thing, you know. <laughs> All right. Um, while Ian thinks about his third, I would say my third is Taylor Hall. Not that that's a secret either. Um, Taylor Hall obviously. in his heart season I feel like he had a lot of fans Taylor Hall this season I'm not so sure So uh, can you defend Taylor Hall this year Because this is Yes actually So Adam Vingen actually just wrote Something in The Athletic about Hall And Heinz' relationship um, And he did a statistical breakdown Of Hall's heart year versus his year this year And quite literally The only difference in the years statistically are the fact that he didn't get as lucky with the number of points he put up this year. But if you look at his scoring chances, his expected goals, um, all of the metrics that we like to look at, slot shots, um, chances generated per game, like all of these things that we like to look at as indicators, predictors of future value, they were all right in line and some were even better than his heart season. And I think <laughs> to be frank, um, he was playing for the first half a year on a team in New Jersey, which um, clearly wasn't very good. Because the first picking... month or two of the season is just one of the biggest tire fires I've ever seen to start a season. And I watched the Leafs under Mike Babcock this year. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then he went to Arizona. And I think was unfairly criticized because the team didn't do well when he got there. But what everyone seems to just like 
forget, is the fact that I want to say like two games after he got there, the Coyotes lost both of their goaltenders. And I don't care what team you are. If you lose two of your goaltenders, that's going to be a big problem. I don't know. Aiden Hill came in and put up a 918 save percentage. I'd say he did all right. Oh, yeah. Like, he did okay, but the trickle-down effect, the team wasn't as offensive because they didn't trust Aiden Hill. And so, naturally, you're not taking as many chances. You're not moving the puck as quickly. You're not as crisp with things. You're gripping the stick a little tighter. It really went downhill, and to be fair, Taylor Hall was not playing with Nico Heeshear and Kyle Palmieri. I couldn't even tell you who he was playing with in Arizona, but it was certainly not Kyle Palmieri and Nico Heeshear. I think I think there was a bit of a downgrade from that perspective as well. Um, but he still, statistically, if you look at some of the um, more deep stats, had a very good season. He just was unlucky, which... Sometimes happens, and we've talked about it so much on this podcast, luck is not a repeatable thing. That's why it's called luck. Yeah, Arizona this year got outshot and outchanced at even strength. I know their penalty kill's phenomenal. I know their goaltending's phenomenal, but I just, I never really trusted them this year. I wanted to because I wanted to believe in Phil Kessel. I wanted, you know, uh, Taylor Hall going there to kind of invigorate the team. It just never really happened, and with Taylor Hall being a free agent this year, sounds like you're saying that he generates a ton of scoring chances, a ton of passes through the slot, similar to what Johnny Gaudreau's done this year, and they haven't resulted in goals, but right, all the evidence seems to indicate that, yeah, I don't know, the shooting percentage isn't quite there this year, but it's probably going to be there next year, and it's probably going to be there the year after next, similar to William Nylander last season. Seems like you want to bet on a player with Excuse that kind me, of Excuse me, he doesn't go to the net, did you know? Yeah, now he's, what, first in the league or second in the league in goals from the slot? So you want to bet on players who consistently generate quality chances. And from the sounds of it, Taylor Hall's been doing that. If he's on a team with more talent next year, I just... Him on Colorado is my dream. I don't know what's actually no, going to happen. No, him on Edmonton is my dream. Oh, back in Edmonton? That would be so great. With McDavid? Oh, my God. I really wanted him to get traded for Adam Larson again. Just, you know, just <sighs> redo the trade. But. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. Um, yeah, I I think he's he kind of gets some, some flack. Um, and obviously, having worked with him, there's definitely some bias there, but... I mean, the numbers also don't lie. So, <laughs> you want me to come up with one more guy who I think is extremely underrated by everyone, and I'm way higher on that player it's than gonna everyone else? It's going to be Travis Dermott's like long lost brother or something. I was going to say, who's basically the same player as Travis Dermott? But William Nylander. <laughs> I mean, in the neutral hated. zone, he's he's a freak in the neutral zone, and that's why he, he you know shifts the ice so well. Um, you don't have to, I guess. We could leave it at I, that. I want to. I want to come up with a name, though. I want to come up with someone who's in that similar vein. What about Alex DeBrinket? I mean, in his draft year, I thought he was going to score a lot of goals at the NHL level, but you know, the the Leafs didn't agree when they picked Igor Korshkov, thirty second overall. <laughs> you were so upset about that. Another conversation that. for another day. I remember being told, "Oh, you can't just draft a bunch of you know five eight guys who can put the puck in the net." And I'm thinking, "Why not? Yes, you can. Talent is good, but." Uh, I feel like Ian's stumped. Right I'm, now. I'm I'm jogging my brain right now. I'm trying to think of a guy who fits that description. Tight neutral zone gap, good puck mover. Coaches don't trust him in his own end. Those tend to be the guys that I think are underrated at the mass level. And 
whichever player is jumping into your mind right now, that's the player that I'm going to pick because I think it's more transition defense is the most underrated aspect of player evaluation these days. So guys who are really good at playing a, a you know strong neutral zone defense. Let's go with Martin Marincin in Toronto because everyone seems to hate him, and I think he's an NHL player, albeit a, a bottom pair guy. I think he's good on the penalty kill, and I think that he is good enough at taking away the blue line in transition. He can't move the puck, but neither can a lot of guys at this level. But, you know, you're willing to live with it if they provide value on the PK and in transition defense. I feel comfortable with Mark Merchant in those regards. I'd rather he play than Cody Ceci, but, you know, agree to disagree with, with uh, NHL coaches on that one. I guess so. Um, Can't believe that I just spent a minute defending Mark Merchant for, like, the 20th yeah, time. Yeah, that's why I'm not even going near that. <laughs> um, we'll do one non-hockey one. We'll make it quick. Um, I'll list my three and then Ian can list his, um, top three ways to beat the heat because anyone who's from Toronto knows we basically had like three weeks of 35 plus degree weather, which for you people in the States is about 110 Fahrenheit. So super fun. That's brutal. All right. We're over an hour here, so I'll go quick. I'm going to say, uh, you need to drink water at camp. I forget to drink water every summer when I'm running like three or four sports activities in a row. I have all these, you know, kids I'm running along with and I forget to drink water because I'm too busy trying to make sure they're not killing each other. And then right. I go to the nurses and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling a bit, you know, uh, nauseous. I'm all headachy. I'm losing my balance. They're like, I think you're dehydrated, man. Like, you know, take it easy for a little bit. So in this summer heat, drink lots of water. Um, I've been doing cold showers uh, when I after an exercise when I'm just so overheated. I need to cool things back down again. That's been working for me. And sleeping in the basement. <laughs> and get time in the basement. Seriously, if you have a, if you're living in a condo, go into the basement of that condo and do whatever activities down there. If you're in a house, go to the basement. That's heat rises. You don't want to be up high right now. You want to be as low as you can get to the ground. Yeah, I would say what what have I been doing? Um, I mean, if you took a look at my Instagram, I have been living in the swimming pool. Um, can't recommend that highly enough. I just lay on the donut floaty or the pizza floaty and say la vie. It's great. Um, so if you have access to a pool or, um, a body of water, even running through the sprinkler at that point, like I've sprayed my friends with the hose just for fun. Um, so do that. Uh, if you have a cottage, but you feel like you're too lazy to drive up there, trust me, do it. It's worth it because the lake is there more than likely. Um, but if you don't, I'll echo what Ian says, uh, drink lots of water. Um, I find, uh, that drinking alcoholic beverages dehydrates you more as fun as it may be. It's not ideal. Um, I'm still gonna do it though. (laughs) I still think that quarantine drinks are a necessity at least one or two nights a week. I'm not gonna lie. I do not, uh... I don't judge anyone who needs a bit of alcohol to get through quarantine. Let's put it that way. Yeah, let's just say that uh, I don't think I've ever spent this much at the liquor store in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I'm on par with the regular season. I just, you know, I got to stay oh, consistent no, no, no. here. No, no, I'm not. Um, but it's one of those things. Um, so, yeah, stay hydrated. I also find exercising, um, it... It's been proven it increases your energy levels if you exercise. So exercise, the heat naturally won't take as much out of you. Um, 
and you'll have more energy. So that's kind of, I guess, what I would say. But yeah, if you can get to a body of water. I had a buddy who wanted to hang out with me, like do like a social distance thing because we're trying to return to normalcy without, you know, coming within six feet of anyone. And I told him, like, yeah, let's go to the park. We'll, you know, bring, like, a, you know, like, maybe, like, a soccer ball or something like that. And, like, and we'll I do that some, every day. And, like, we'll bring some water. And he's like, wow, you sound so excited about bringing water. I'm like, dude, have you been outside in this heat? Like, you need water if you're going to be doing any kind of physical activity. So, yeah, get Especially some vitamin D. Especially if you're D, me with a heart water. condition. <laughs> yeah, Rachel's just a walking, talking injury waiting to happen. There's so much. if it's Whether it's, like, a short-term thing or a long-term thing, I just, I never trust Rachel to go do an activity and not come back severely worse than she was before she went. (laughs) Yeah, but I totally agree. If you can do like the social distancing, um, don't go to Disney World or any of that nonsense. Um, You can do that. Like I've been taking, I finally um, have been allowed to start to exercise vigorously and whatever. So I've been working out, but I've got my soccer ball now and it's nice enough that I can go outside. So I try and kick the ball around in um, and just kind of have fun, but yeah, that's that's what I would say. But Rachel getting her strength water. gains in, looking like Morgan yes. Riley coming back from quarantine with like just oh, we're like gonna massive be buzzing. Muscles. Okay, I'm not gonna be like that. I just need to like <laughs> get back in shape. All right, you know what? We're an hour ten in. I think we should probably, you know, start to Let's wrap it, move our way out of the zone here, go for that zone exit, and see if we can make it clean. I don't know. Think we'll be able to pull yeah. this off? Who knows? I hate I goodbyes, mean... and you know, it's like whenever I say bye to someone at a party or like at a okay, you know, event, and again, that feels like you know, light years ago because that was back when society existed. But a party? Even What's the, that? Even when I'm on the phone, I have a hard time getting off the phone because I'm like, man, I have to end this, and I don't want to end this. This is sad. This sucks. We're kind of at that point right now. You know, we we decided that we were going to do one last podcast because you know. Right after making that decision, and it, I, I thought weeks about that decision. This was something that we've been talking a lot about. We're like, you know what? I think we're going to do it. Let's do one last podcast, you know, for the people. And if they want to continue, you know, listening to us or, or seeing our work elsewhere, you know, me and Rachel are going to have some public work out there. So keep an eye on it. That'll really help us out, you know, just financially. It'll, it'll help me out. It'll help her out. Uh, it sucks. It sucks when something comes to an end. There's no way around it. I remember when I went and watched the last Harry Potter movie, it felt like a piece of my soul had just been ripped out. I got horcruxed, you know, because it was just mm-hmm. this important thing to me. And I joked that it was post-Potter depression because I was just like, man, like this thing that was such a big part of my life. You know, I played Harry Potter house with my sister growing up when I was a kid or Harry Potter school because she wanted to play house or school and I wanted to play Harry Potter. So, you know, we, we compromised on it. And it came to an end, and you know, you find a way to, you know, find new things to kind of fill your time and, and new things to appreciate. I think me and Rachel are gonna have some new projects that we're moving on to, and it, they're gonna, I hope, be successful. So, yeah, I'm looking like, forward we'll be... to what you're up to next, Rachel. I'm gonna be keeping an eye on your work. I'm gonna keep an <laughs> eye on whatever you're doing, and I hope that people do the same for me. But you know what? At the end of the day, I gotta make my work interesting, and if if my work's good, you'll continue to, to keep checking it out. So. Here's hoping yeah. that we go on to keep doing some fun stuff here. I'll let you make your kind of exit spe- exit spiel here. I went into full German mode there. Exit. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, no, I just, for me, um, it's obviously we've really enjoyed doing this. And hopefully one day we're in a spot where it can come back in some capacity. I would love that for that to be the case. Um, 
But yeah, I just, I really appreciate um, anyone who's like reached out or DM'd or listened or supported me. Um, Even the people that walked up to me on the subway. Um, I appreciate all of that because I feel like we've done a pretty good job on this podcast of being open about our mental health and how we struggle sometimes. And so knowing that there are people out there that uh, appreciate our work and and want to have conversations about hockey, that's that's the stuff that I enjoy. So I'm going to miss this podcast for that reason, just because I think that it's a really good connector. And um, don't worry, I'm not going to stop being a mental health advocate, um, because I think that's super important. Yeah, me either. That's something that's just important. I think that's a lot bigger than this podcast or hockey. I think that's something that's important. Um, I would say, us. though, please support Ian's work. Please read his work, um, because there's going to be significantly less from me publicly facing. Um, so on behalf of our podcast, at least read Ian's stuff. It's really good. Um, I will try and be as accessible as possible. Rachel's about to go dark, baby. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm still going to have a Twitter account. Come on. Um, but yeah, if you see us or if you want to reach out to us, you have questions, please still feel free to do that. And I think both of us, um, A, would appreciate it and B, like I said, we've always loved talking hockey, and so thank you for supporting us this past, I would say, like, 18 months. It's It's been fun, and hopefully uh, one day we can do it again. All right, well, we'll end off on a, on a happy note here, and uh, as our one last thing, uh, tell us uh, more behind-the-scenes stuff on Damon Severson and why he didn't move up the lineup. Uh... <laughs> I cannot do that. All I can say is... Let's go watch some hockey. I'm so excited for this next month. Uh, the NHL seems to have done a much better job than, you know, the MLB in that regard. So I have confidence that they'll be able to pull this off. And if they are, there's going to be a lot of content coming from you my way. And I, I hope that, you know, I'm a decent enough analyst that, that I make you want to check out my stuff. So Leafs Geeks podcast right. will be starting back up. I'll be doing my stuff at The Athletic and maybe some other places too as a freelance writer. So... Here we go. I'm gearing up for some hockey. Let's go, baby. Thank you, everyone, again. And stay safe, take care, and uh, we love all you guys. Thank you for listening to the Staff and Graph podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and the Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also, be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graff.